Hey church, thanks for joining our Shoreline City podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you. We love you so much. Hello, Shoreline City. I am so incredibly excited about this week, and honestly, my heart is filled with anticipation about what God is going to do in us and through us today. Thrilled. All of you are here just so you know God has a plan and a purpose for today in your life and in mine. I'm fired up for a bunch of reasons. Number one, you're here. But number two, we've got Cultivate right around the corner. I know you just got to hear a little bit about that. I want to make sure every woman in our church buys a ticket. Make sure you are a part of this conference. Your life will not be the same. We've been praying for you, and honestly, we're trusting for God to do amazing things in every single heart that is there. Don't forget about our winter schedule. We're ending our fall schedule, going to our winter schedule now. Uh, This winter schedule, all Sunday services will be the same. It'll be Saturday night that will be adjusting. Maybe you've seen that on Instagram or on Facebook or somewhere that we've posted it, but make sure uh, you remember that because next weekend is when all of that begins. Uh, again, I want to say a big hello to all of our guests. Can we clap our hands one more time for all of our guests? Yes, make sure every one of them feel right at home. I want you to know we love you. We've been praying for you, for praying for you, asking for God to do great things in your heart and your life. You are part of this family, okay? So whether you like it or not, you've got a whole bunch of new family members. We are in your corner cheering you on. Uh, what we're going to do today is take out some time and, and, and open up uh, this Bible. And today we're going to do something uh, that I'm excited about. We're going to reach into uh, what we would call the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to be reaching into Judaism, if you will, or the roots of Judaism. And a lot of you know this, Christianity actually has its roots in Judaism. So today we're going to reach into one of those stories. Now, what a lot of people don't always know is that the Old Testament is not just a bunch of stories. It actually is the story of Jesus. And it keeps pointing us to him over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, uh, maybe you've heard of the story of David and Goliath. Well, a lot of times we insert ourselves into the story and we say we're David and then the issues and the problems of this world are Goliath. And that's definitely one way to read the story. But an even better way to read the story is to understand that Jesus is our David and Goliath is the sin and the shame and the condemnation of this world. And our Savior came to break that, kill that, chop the head off of all of that sin, death and destruction. Again, there's Jesus in the story. So we're going to jump into this passage of scripture here and we're going to see Jesus in this story. You're definitely going to see yourself as well. And I'm going to see myself, but more than anything, we're going to see our glorious Savior and how he wants to change us and transform us and make us more into who he destined for us to be. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We'll put the scriptures on the screen. If you didn't bring your Bible so you can follow along with us, Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, that's a mouthful for a name for sure, but King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Skip down with me to verse number four. 
It says, then the herald loudly proclaimed, here's the hype man, here's the hype man. He comes in, he loudly proclaims, nations and peoples of every language, throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. That's not what the Bible actually says. Nations and people of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, this is what you need to do. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. The title of this weekend's message is I Won't Stop. Can you say that with me? I won't stop. As a matter of fact, turn to the person next to you and tell them I won't stop. Tell them, tell them I won't stop. Every campus, everywhere, I won't stop. For some of you, those three words are powerful just for you to be able to speak over yourself because you felt like quitting this week. You've been battling some things. It could be everything from a sickness to job problems to family issues and, and just saying those words, I won't stop. I want you to know that that's what God is speaking over your life this weekend as well. He does not want you to stop and he's giving you the strength to keep putting, to continue to put one foot in front of the other. I won't stop. Uh, we have uh, three fantastic children, my, my wife and I. Uh, my wife, who's my best friend and the finest thing on the planet. Uh, but my wife and I have these, these three fantastic kids. And uh, our firstborn child, uh, Parker, uh, we were incredibly excited about it. And, and we had a baby shower. And this is what, what happens when you have a child on the way. You, you have a baby shower. And it's one of the worst experiences of my life, in all honesty, what happened. Because we had a a couple's baby shower, a couple's baby shower. I, I did not know such a thing existed. I, I thought my wife and all of her friends have a baby shower, and I'm incredibly excited about my son coming. I could not wait for him to get here on the planet, but, but I, I didn't want to be in the whole, all the diapers and the party and the, and the games and stuff, but we had a, we had a co-ed baby shower. So, so now I'm at the baby shower, okay? My friends still bother me and um, pester me and um, honestly somewhat demean me to this day that they had to be at this baby shower because their wives made them come. Oh, you got to come. It's a couple's baby shower. And here you have a bunch of dudes at a baby shower and we don't know what we're doing we just want to watch sports as a matter of fact as the night went on one guy friend after one guy friend after one guy friend began to trickle out of the room make their way upstairs watching the game snarling at me the entire time as they walked upstairs and there I was sitting in the middle of ribbons and glitter and diapers (laughs) I remember how uncomfortable I felt This is a a small picture and a funny picture of what of what these guys in this story have felt being in this Babylonian land. What has happened is God's kids have been taken captive. They have been seized. They are now enslaved and they are in a foreign land. A land where they don't speak the language, they don't know the customs, they understood where they were from, but now they're in this new place and they feel out of place. 
and they are being forced to learn all types of new things and new ways. And they are actually even being forced to to begin to worship new gods. And and this King Nebuchadnezzar is on a power trip and he builds this massive statue celebrating himself. And these Jewish people who have one God are now being called upon to bow down to what we would believe and they would believe is a false God. So here they are in a foreign land, a foreign country, out of place and and out of sorts. And here they are saying, God, not only have you brought us into a place of captivity, but now, but now we're being forced and we're being asked and we're even being commanded to worship the gods of this land. Sometimes when you find yourself in a spot that's incredibly frustrating and you're not sure, God, why, why am I here? Why would you even allow me to be here? This does, these aren't my people. This, doesn't, this is not my language. I, I don't feel at home. I don't feel at home in this job. I don't feel at home in my own home. I don't feel at home in this school. I'm, I'm feeling uh, like I'm by myself. I'm feeling isolated. I'm feeling... Um, like I'm on an island and, and what's going on here? And not only do, you, do I feel isolated, now I feel like some things are being built up all around me that are pointing me the wrong direction. Things that are trying to take my attention off of you and put my attention on them. God, why in the world would you allow this to happen? The reality is we can ask God why he allows things like these idols to be built uh, But one of the answers, honestly, is God has always allowed, we see in the scripture, idols to be built. I think one of the things God is wondering is, do I have anybody that won't bow? I know I have things, I have idols that will be built, but I'm wondering, do I have any sons and daughters? Do I have any children of mine that will hear the the sound of their generation and not bow down to it, will still say my life and my purpose is not found in the culture and the whims of this day, but my life and my purpose and my identity is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Do I have any sons and daughters of mine on this earth that won't bow? And here in this story, we discover just a little while And those of you who are familiar with the story know about these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three guys hear all of this noise and they hear all of the sound of the trumpet. But these three Jewish men who have been put in a land that is not their own and have learned customs that are not their own, but have been elevated to positions of prominence. But here they are and they're being told to bow down to an idol and they know we don't bow down to idols. So whenever all the music takes place and everybody bows, these three men, they keep on standing. They stand shoulder to shoulder. I wonder, do you have any friends in your life that will stand with you shoulder to shoulder? Do you have any friends that will be there with you and say, I, I have your back and I know what our culture is telling us to do, but, but I'm with you and, and you're with him and I'm with him. So we are together. So we're going to keep on standing here regardless of what comes our way. Do you, do you have any friends with you that, that won't be, that, that will stand by your side when our culture is saying it's okay to have a side piece? It's okay to maybe flirt with somebody at the office. Do you have some other men in your life that will say, no, 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 I'm not bowing to the culture. I, I honor my wife even when she's not around. 
I know, I know our culture will say you, you got to go after that almighty dollar. You got to get all the money that you possibly can. And I'm all for you maximizing your earn, earning potential. I encourage you to go as far as you possibly can, but don't you dare. And I don't want to dare bow at the altar of money. I, I don't want us to do that at all. Money is our servant. We are not its. Do you have some friends in your life that will say, I'm not bowing to that God? Do you have some friends in your life that will say, I'm not bowing? Bowing to the God of identity, being in my followers or being in my fame. Do I have any people around me that are saying my identity is in Jesus and not in all this stuff? Do you have some friends in your life that won't bow? Are you that type of friend that won't bow? Are you that type of friend that will hold up the ones around you as well and say, hey, let's stand strong here. Let, let's, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're in a time as a church right now of prayer and fasting uh, leading up to our Cultivate Women's Conference and also praying for God to move in amazing ways in our city and community and the lives of our peers and our neighbors and our friends and our officials and our leaders. In this time of prayer and fasting, it's an opportunity for you to get around some people and learn how not to bow to culture. Because some of us have had patterns in our life where we're going good for a while. But the second that fine, he has to be just good looking enough calls. (laughs) We can find ourselves bowing to things we don't want to bow to. When that one girl reaches out to us, when that one kind of job, when that one person gives us attention, we find ourselves getting distracted so easily. That one text from that one person that that we know we need to delete that number, but we don't delete it. Just hoping that maybe they'll reach out one more time. We find ourselves bowing in ways we wish we would have never bowed. I'm asking, do you have some friends in your life? This is a great time during this prayer of fasting to say, hey, I'm going to get some people around me and trust for God to reinforce in my soul the strength that I need so that I don't bow. Friends like this are critical in your life. So we have connect groups. So we have serving teams. That's why we're asking you to go through growth track. That's why we're asking you not to do life alone. But you know something else? Not only are friends critical, you you see that here. I also want you to know in this passage of scripture, in Daniel chapter 3, we also discover that critics are actually critical to your success. Now, I know this is not popular, but, but critics are an important piece of who you are. Why? Oh, Earl, what are you talking about? Critics. Daniel, I mean, not in, in this book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had some critics. They had some guys that saw that they weren't bowing, and these guys saw that they weren't bowing, so they went to the king and told the king that these three men didn't bow, And those three men ended up in front of the king about to be thrown into a fiery furnace. We're going to look at this passage of scripture in just a moment. But their critics put them in a place of prominence. Their critics helped them get there. Why? Why? What do critics do? What you and I need is we need someone or something working against us so that what God has put in us can be pulled out of us. Did you hear that? 
You and I need someone or something that's working against us because that, that resistance, that fight actually begins to, to work on something that God put on the inside that can now be pulled out. You would not even know the fight that is in you unless you had to be in the fight in the first place. So don't you dare begin to think that God is not against you because you're in a fight. The fight is actually the thing to remind you that God is on your side and actually wants to use your life for his glory. Every single person that I respect, every single person in scripture that has done anything significant, every single one of them had a fight. Every single one of them had resistance. Every single one of them had someone coming against them. Hey, I'll tell you this. In Jesus' life, there is no resurrection if he's not betrayed. Did you catch that? Did, Did you see that? Because as I'm studying this, my heart is being encouraged because I'm always trying to avoid and go around and go underneath and go over all the critics. But little did I realize that the critics are actually part of the plan. They are actually a springboard to where God is trying to take you. So don't you dare just run from them. Matter of fact, step into it. When you and I see Jesus being betrayed by Judas, Judas walks up to him and gives him a kiss. But that kiss, even though it was really a stab in the back, is what what propelled Jesus into his future. And you and I are now saved because our savior was betrayed. There is no empty tomb. If there aren't a bunch of religious leaders that are so upset at Jesus and so jealous of Jesus, I'm telling you the critics are there to help you. And I know it doesn't feel good because I've had some critics in my life and it does not feel good at all. I've heard some things that people have said and I'm like, what in the world? You must not even know me, but I don't really care about that anymore because now I'm realizing that these folks are just there to, to allow God to pull out of me what he already put on the inside of me. Church, get your fight back. That boss does not own your life. That family member does not own your destiny your call is not in your all just in all the muck and the mire of life God is using the struggle and the pain and the problems to help you become who he called you to be this is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ this is not just rainbows and skittles and you and I running around on unicorns this is the gospel that says no matter what comes your way God is still able he's still able I won't stop okay so these uh these leaders, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, okay, I'm excited. Go with me to verse 13, Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, okay. After those critics tell Nebuchadnezzar about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, about these three friends not bowing, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Verse 13, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, which I love that name, by the way, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, You will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? 
Watch this. I'm going over to verse 18. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, God. Is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay, I'm trying not to run around the room right now. They are faced with the king's demand and decree to bow. I see the three friends being summoned by the king. They're all talking. What are you going to say? 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 And they all decide we're not bowing. We're not bowing. We're not bowing. So they let the king know God's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, can I just talk about for a second the type of faith that does not just believe that God can, but the type of faith that will believe even if God doesn't? That even if the job doesn't turn around, even if the money doesn't come through, even if the healing doesn't happen the way I want it to happen, even if, even if, even if, even if, I'm, I'm talking even if kind of faith, the kind of faith that says, God, my trust is in you, not just what you do, but my trust is in who you are. I'm talking about us developing and growing some roots that grow deep. I'm talking about you and I not having a faith that is just based on uh, the, the fickle feelings that we have in a given moment. I'm talking about you and I having a faith that's not based on you and I having goosebumps in a moment or how a song moves us at some particular time or if a sermon kind of really made me cry. I'm, I'm talking about a faith that goes far beyond that. I'm talking about a faith that says, God, even though you slay me, I'm going to trust you. The type of faith that says, God, I don't know why all of this is going on in my life right now, but I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm talking about the type of faith that will carry people through slavery, the type of faith that will carry people through bankruptcy, the type of faith that will carry people through divorce, the type of faith that will carry people through de destruction and devastation, the type of faith that says even though all the world is crumbling around me, God is still on his throne. He is still on my side. He is still good. He is still my father and no weapon formed against me will ever prosper. And even though I want to be healed of this cancer, if this cancer takes me, it can take my body, but it can't take my spirit. I'm talking about the kind of faith that says, even if he doesn't, I'm going to trust him. Listen, I, I'm not saying it's easy because <laughs> it's real tears. I'm talking real tears, manly tears for those of you who like Key and Peele. <laughs> real tears, real battle, real pain. But I'm even thinking about my beautiful mother. Man, my mom is just been faithful, been steady. We didn't have a ton growing up, but she wasn't serving God because she had a six bedroom house and five and a half baths. That would have been nice, but she was serving him anyway when we were there in the inner city. 
And I'm just saying some of you, your business has not taken off the way you want it to take off and you're mad at God. And I'm saying I get being mad at God and those moments are are all throughout scripture. So it's okay to be honest and vulnerable and real. But we want to have the type of faith that says, even if my business does not get off the ground the way I want it to in the time frame I want it, I still trust you. Even if. So you know what happens? You would think that because they have this type of faith, God's like, oh, I see your faith. I'm not going to let the fire, I'm not going to let you be thrown into the fire. That's not what happens. <laughs> Those of us who have read this story before know the king gets even more upset. He strikes the fire even hotter, grabs Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, binds them up throws them into the furnace, and now they are in the fire. It gets so hot that the very ones that Nebuchadnezzar, the the soldiers that throw uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, they end up getting hurt and dying. That's how hot it is. And now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar thinks, oh, it's over. I'm, I'm done with them. Good riddance. And then Nebuchadnezzar stands up off of his throne, looks, and is like, what? Didn't we throw three people into the fire? Why do I see a fourth walking around the fire? And this fourth, it, it looks like the son, the son of God? What is going on? In the middle of the fire, you now have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Jesus walking through the fire with them. Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you, okay, let let me get practical for a second. Four things. Four things that happen in the fire. Four things that happen in the fire. You can read this later. Four things that happen in the fire. Number one, they're actually brought closer to the Lord in the fire. Number two, their chains actually break off. Their bondages actually fall off in the fire. Number three, while they're actually uh, in the fire, these individuals are actually, after going through all of this, Nebuchadnezzar is so amazed at God's ability to deliver them that the faith of the whole nation is lifted And number four, you can read this in chapter three, verse number 30 later, that they actually get promoted. So what does the fire do for them? I think the same thing fire does for us. It brings us closer to the Lord. Actually going through the fire helps some things to be burned off of you so you and I can realize, I don't even know why that was holding me. I, my identity was in that person. That person rejected me, but I'm still standing. So now I actually have some more fight on the inside of me because I realized I didn't actually need them to survive. I actually just needed him to survive. The chains get broken off. Not only did the chains get broken off, but other people's faith around you begins to get lifted. That's why I love hearing people's stories. That's why I love hearing what happened at Cultivate. That's why I love hearing about people being in connect groups. That's why I love hearing about people serving and what God does in their lives. It's absolutely powerful. But not only that, when you go through the fire, this promotion. I'm not trying to Make it about us, but it's just fascinating how God is so gracious and kind. 
and he promotes after we go through the fire. Stop trying to avoid it. It's actually a help to you and I. But here they are, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire. But do you know? Do you know? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not what I think they were calling themselves when they were in the fire. I'm reading into the text here. I just want to make that clear. I'm reading into the text, but I think as they are walking around and Jesus is in this fire with them, I do not think they were calling each other Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because those were the names that they received when they became slaves, when they were brought into bondage. That that was not their Jewish given name. Go with me to Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Come on real quick. I'm landing the plane here. We're about done. Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. Now watch this. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Here they had Jewish names, God-centered names, but they got renamed. So what did their Jewish names mean? I'm going to tell you right now. The name Hananiah actually means Yahweh has been gracious. The name Mishael means who is what God is. And the name Azariah means Yahweh has helped. So here they are walking through the fire and I cannot believe that they're calling each other by their slave names. I got to believe that they're calling each other by the name that the God of heaven gave them. And that name is Yahweh. You've been gracious. Even though I'm in the fire right now, you've been gracious. Even though I battled so much, you've been gracious. Even though I've taken so many hits, you've been gracious. They're saying Mishael, which means who is what God is. This fire is not greater than our God. This problem's not greater than our God. This money issue is not greater than our God. This this family drama is not greater than our God. Who is what God is? And not only that, Yahweh, he has helped us. He has carried us. He has sustained us. This is what I think they were calling each other. Honestly, when they're in the fire, when they're in the fire, When you and I are in the fire, the setback is actually a secret weapon that God uses to advance his cause. We saw it in Jesus and we see it in the life of these three friends. I've seen it in the life of person after person in this church. And God is so good that when you come out. You don't even smell like smoke. And I'm believing that and praying that over every single one of our hearts today. May the grace of God capture every one of us. And may we remember our identity in Christ and the name that we've been given by him. And not the labels we've been given by this world. I won't stop. Not because I'm so good and so strong, but because he is gracious and there's no one like him. 
and he is my help. If you wouldn't mind, church family, do me a favor. Bow your heads right now just for a moment. Bow your heads, and I want to ask every person who's under the sound of my voice, is Jesus Christ number one in your heart and your life? Is he first? I'm not asking, do you have a Bible? I'm not asking, were you baptized? I'm asking, is Jesus Christ number one in your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? If your answer is no, this is a moment of transformation and a new beginning for you. And if your answer is, there was a time I was on the path, I was following Jesus, but I've slipped away, I've gone another direction, but you're under the sound of my voice today, and you're saying, today I want to give my heart, I want to re-surrender my life to serving Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something simple, but something bold. If you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, or at one point in time you did, and you slipped away, I want you to, I want you on the count of three to shoot your hand in the air and say, yes, that is me. You ready? One, two, three. Shoot your hand in the air. Say, yes, that's me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to make him number one. I want to follow him. I want to surrender my life to him. I'm going to ask every person under the sound of my voice, do me a favor, put your hand over your heart right now. I want you to repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I've made mistakes. And today I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's lift our heads up at all of our locations, at every single service. Let's clap our hands with enthusiasm. I want to turn it over now to your campus pastor so we can give you some clear next steps. Thank you for tuning into the Shoreline City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we'd love to meet you and hear your story. So be sure to email us at info at shorelinecity.church so we can get you the tools you need to grow in Christ and make it on earth as it is in heaven.